I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're The Editing Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to The Editing Podcast. So Louise, tell everyone what we're talking about this week. Okay, Denise. <laughs> so this week, we're looking at whether editors and proofreaders need professional training. So we're going to approach this in a few different ways. First, from the perspective of, of the potential client. Second, in terms of being able to actually do the job to industry standards. Then from a marketing angle. And finally, from a business viewpoint. So how training forges a healthy business mindset. Yeah. So let's start with the perspective of the potential client. Put yourself in their shoes, even if you're an incredibly competent marketer, meaning that you can get in front of your ideal clients quickly, you've still got to persuade them to buy from you. And that means building trust. That's right. Now, Denise and I are both of the opinion that trust can be earned in more than one way, but training's part of that equation. It's why I'll hire Denise to copy edit one of my books, but won't let her get her mitts on my electrics. <laughs> well, not to the extent that I let her do anything I wouldn't do myself. So you can wire a plug for me, Cal, but that's it. Ah, yeah, yeah, thanks. And you can unblock my kitchen sink if you like. <laughs> no, thanks. But, but leave my taps alone. <laughs> so look, the point is that our clients feel the same way about having their text polished as we do about letting each other loose on our plumbing and electrics. They want people who are fit for purpose. Yeah, and so they should. The work we do will cost them tens, hundreds, perhaps even thousands of pounds. Editors charging for their services owe it to their clients to be qualified to do a great job. But gaining that trust is hard because our market is, well, essentially it's unregulated, isn't mm. it? Mm. Anyone can set up and call themselves a professional editor. Absolutely. So we have to find ways of helping potential clients make that leap of faith. Now, content marketing that solves problems is a great way of demonstrating knowledge. You had to mention you had to mention it, didn't I you? I know. We could we couldn't <laughs> let an FSA go without talking about it, could we? No. But but we both recognize it's not everyone's bag and it isn't necessarily the best way of helping all of our clients to climb that trust ladder. Yeah. So publishers are a case in point. And while publishers might look for other signals of competence in order to decide whether we're trustworthy, so membership of a professional organisation, a client portfolio, testimonials, and via editing tests, for example, professional training offered by industry-recognised bodies is absolutely still up there. Yeah, and I think framing it in terms of signalling is a good way of looking at it. Professional training is a tap on the shoulder that says, look at me, I take this seriously. I've invested time and money in this. I'm committed to it. Yeah, it says I've taken professional training because that's professional behaviour. It's what professionals do, isn't it? It's about signalling that we're not hobbyists, that this is a career and that we're invested in not just editing text, but about learning about editing text. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's an indication that we don't think that we know it all. And that might also make them think that we're going to be adaptable and able to take on board and learn their specific requirements, Mm. their house style and work according to their brief. That's exactly right, which leads us nicely into the second perspective, that of being able to actually do the job to industry standards. Because the fact is this, you just don't know what you don't know. Um, (laughs) Before I'd done my professional training, I had absolutely no idea what a publisher expected. 
And I was exactly the same. Yeah. And as soon as you start your training, God, you quickly realize that being good at spelling and grammar just won't cut it. (laughs) You're going to need more, way more. God, yeah, it's it's just the tip of the iceberg. The proofreading markup language for one and reference checking, all the different ways of styling references and checking citations. And all those layout issues like over matter and unbalanced rectos and versos and orphans and widows and stacked hyphens. And running heads. I remember <laughs> seeing that phrase and thinking, what? What are those? <laughs> when we consider that the mainstream publishing market is the easiest to access because the in-house staff know who we are, what we do and why we're relevant to them, it would be bonkers not to be fit for purpose for that market. They've got their hands raised. Yeah, yeah. And they're waving at us. Yeah. (laughs) I I can't imagine working for a publisher without professional training. I'd have fallen at the first hurdle. Completely. The work would just have been impossible. But there's also the huge market beyond the mainstream publishing industry, and many editors serve those clients too. And it's up to us to ensure that we're up to speed in terms of professional standards, because they might not be. Mm, good those, point. <laughs> yeah, those people pay professional prices because they're getting editing work done by professional editors. And so just as we expect our electrician to know the stuff that we don't, So those authors and agencies, businesses, schools, charities and so on, they expect us to know what they don't. Yeah, and there's a huge risk that without training we'll do a shoddy job. That's really bad news for us as individual business owners. I remember Mm. a great piece of advice I got from an in-house editor back when I worked for Safe Publishing years ago. And he said, when it comes to freelance editorial work, you're only as good as your last job. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good way of framing it. But it goes even further than that, doesn't it? Because shoddy work is bad for our industry as a whole Mm. because it erodes the trust that we already talked about. And when trust is low, clients can start to question fees. I mean, I'll pay good money for a brand that I trust, but one that I don't, I'm going to expect to pay peanuts or just not bother. Exactly. We have to remember that our clients don't exist in a vacuum. Hundreds of thousands of writers are congregating online in groups and forums and sharing their experiences about prepping a book for market. They talk to each other. They persuade each other. They advise each other. Yep, they do. And so what we as editors need to be doing is proving that we're worth it, that we deserve our professional status. And that means behaving like professionals, not winging it on the grounds that we don't have time to train or or we can't afford it. You know what, that that's a really important point that I think we need to dig into a bit more. If someone wants to be a professional editor, they need to behave like one. And making excuses just isn't professional. It's, it's bodging. Mm. Can you imagine if you found out your doctor or your lawyer hadn't done any professional training? I mean, you'd think they were a charlatan. <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? I mean, I mean, a con artist, a hustler. And just because a client might not realise that you're winging it, you'd know you're not fit for purpose. So I guess that means that we have to address the issue of how to deal with those very real problems of being short on time and short on money to train. So on the timing issue, I'd say it's about planning ahead and not rushing it. Uh, That's what I did. I set out small pockets of time over several months that I dedicated to it. Yep, that's exactly how I handled it too. I put my baby down for a nap and I'd do my coursework for an hour, my training coursework. Yep, me too. And it was hard work, wasn't it? Yeah. But 
but you know life's like that stuff's not always easy yeah if we just have to graft it and hold in mind that there'll come a point when that graft pays off that it won't last forever that all the hard work won't last forever yeah yeah and and the same applies for the money it's frustrating when you hear people saying that they can't afford professional training and yeah great training doesn't come free but it can be saved up for And some training providers allow you to pay in installments or to divide up the training into segments so you can progress at your own speed. Mm. And that softens the financial blow. It's like you said about the timing. Funding training might mean planning ahead. And I think the the way to think about this is in terms of as an investment. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not like buying an expensive perfume. It's not a luxury. Mm. It's an investment in your business and an investment in your future and an investment in the skills that will help you do the job and get you noticed. Yeah. So let's talk more about this from a marketing angle. So as we've said before, training is just one signal of competence, but it's a baseline signal. And although we're both nuts about content creation, (laughs) I don't think either of us would dream of excluding those lists of qualifications from a page on our website. Absolutely not. And you're right. Training is baseline. It's the foundation, the starting point. And from a marketing point of view, from a branding point of view, it's something that you can put in front of a client, particularly particularly a publisher and say look I've done this I can hit the ground running but that list of courses on your website has lots of juicy keywords in it Mm. that will help with your website's SEO and every little bit really does help it's a relevant signal to the search engines for sure Mm, yeah but there's something else here when we learn how to do stuff we can use that knowledge to create content that illustrates it so when I think of all the blog posts that you and I have written those were based on what we've learned over the years yeah and that's the thing about training and marketing they're not discrete entities that sit in different rooms they're two aspects of being an editorial business owner that sit at the same table and converse with each other so sometimes I'll be writing a post and I'll get to a point when I think you know what I don't know how to solve that problem so I have to find out. Yeah, yeah, you have to do the research, either with a book or a course and learn it. And so we can flip it around because not only does training help with marketing, but marketing nudges you to learn. Yeah. And that way you're becoming a better editor and a more visible one. It's a win-win. It is. Yeah. So let's wrap up with how all of this can help with the business mindset overall, because professional training provides you with more than just technical knowledge and skills. It also gets you into the mindset of good business practice, pacing, taking stock and focusing on the detail. Definitely. So I came to this from a publishing background, but in the marketing department and the focus there was on creativity, promoting and selling books and journals and software to academic libraries, individual researchers and students. And we needed to be able to think in left field and not be afraid to experiment. What I wasn't was a detail person and editorial (laughs) training taught me how to slow right down, take a breath and focus on the detail. I learned how to follow a brief, how to be careful, how to be methodical. And that was a really good lesson for me because I have that kind of personality that's a bit of a bull in a china shop. (laughs) Really? You know this. (laughs) But it was my professional training that taught me to recognise that and bend it away from my editing practice and towards the tasks around making my business visible. So, Denise, what about you? You were a physiotherapist, so you were already a detailed person, I would imagine. Your clients' limbs and muscles depended on it, didn't they? <laughs> yes, yeah, they did, and I, and I was, yeah. So, But being a physio also taught me patience, 
because you don't get results overnight. So, yep, I was able to bring that to my editing practice. However, you have to remember what I was doing. I was still working in a busy hospital, an environment that was frenetic at times. There was a lot of rushing around and the work was very physical. And I did take things slow and steady with my patients' bodies, but I wasn't (laughs) poring over the paperwork, worrying about whether that was perfect. So editorial work still required a very different kind of discipline. And it was training that made the transition from hospital to editing studio possible, not just the skills, but the confidence and and the mindset too. Confidence is a huge part of that mindset, Mm. isn't it? Because especially if you're coming into editorial work from a different career, training teaches teaches you how to make good decisions, decisions you can stand by, even if that decision means making um, means leaving something well enough alone. Yeah, I mean, there's no way I would have been confident enough to charge people for editing work without training any more than I'd have been confident enough to manipulate someone's arm without training. Yeah. It's, it's inconceivable to me that I'd be so arrogant as to think that that was acceptable. Yeah, and actually the physiotherapist comparison is a good one because without training, you could have done harm Absolutely. As a, you know, without yeah. physiotherapy training. Yeah. And, and that's an editorial mantra that applies to us as well. Do no harm. Yeah. Our engagement with tech should never damage it. Pro training is what gives us the skills to put that into practice. Oh, I think that's a lovely way to wrap up. Yeah. Do your training so you do no harm. <laughs> so that's it for this week we hope you've enjoyed this episode you can rate review and subscribe to us via apple Podcasts, spotify or whichever platform you prefer yeah thank you so much for listening to the editing podcast she's been denise and she's been louise join us again soon bye Bye bye